2: The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence, Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio too many children to care for too many jobs to manage well never fear help is here in the shape of the matthew wright podcast where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny bite-sized morsels just for you you busy so-and-so so So sit back and enjoy the best the matthew wright show here on talk radio trying to get a handle on what, what we can sort of deduce from this cabinet reshuffle, what it suggests about uh, our Brexit trade deal, or any hope of a Brexit trade deal we might have with the European Union. And I have to say, the promotion of uh, Rishi Sunak uh, to a uh, Chancellor um, suggests to me at least that we could be heading into that sort of low tax, no tax haven suggestion that people were putting forward uh, before we actually left the a European new series Union. of yes Prime Minister
0: I think. Well there, there
2: is that I've, I've just been <laughs> sent various some f- various nasty memes that are going on this one's about Rishi Sunak, a fake Wikipedia page. Uh, Rishi <laughs> Sunak is a complete nobody that nobody had heard of until today who hilariously serves as Chancellor of the Exchequer, exactly, dot 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 dot, so um, it seems I i well, not the only one to be bemused by his extraordinary uh, promotion. I'm going to turn to Professor Tim Bale, director of uh, the UK and a in a Changing Europe, for for a bit of guidance here and see what he has to say about these uh, cabinet reshuffles and what it might mean for Brexit. He joins us on the line now. Good afternoon, Tim. Hello. Um. So, uh, do you get do you, uh, just, just, do you get a different feeling now, a different sense of direction with regard to Brexit trade deals from this cabinet?
3: Uh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, uh, the new Chancellor, uh, the very new Chancellor, is yeah. certainly a lever, uh, and that wasn't true of Sajid Javid. Yes. Um, and that may, as you say, mean that he is uh, more... Uh, on the page of those people who, as you yourself put it, want to go for the, <laughs> the rather leaner-meaner, yeah. uh, low-regulation, low-tax kind of economy, some people call Singapore on ten. Yes,
2: he's an advocate, uh, I believe, right. of free ports, uh, deregulation broadly, broadly speaking, deregulation, uh, and so yeah.
3: forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not many people do know very much about him because he is, you know, um, has been promoted so quickly. Uh, I mean, he is a very clever guy. Uh, you know, you have got a first in PPE, from Oxford very well Western connected Stanford, married a billionaire's uh, daughter that always helps a bit, was a hedge fund manager worked for yeah. Goldman Sachs all that kind of yeah thing. so I mean he's very much at the kind of the, the top of that kind of uh, if you like hyper
2: capitalist
3: yeah <laughs> elite. Um, absolutely
2: isn't it I mean the de- almost the definition of the sort of Westminster capitalist elite
3: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that, you know, his politics will necessarily reflect, you know, his previous background. It could be that he is simply more willing to do Boris Johnson's bidding. And Boris Johnson, it must be said, doesn't seem to be wanting to push the UK down that path uh too quickly or at least wholly. I mean he has tried to make reassuring noises about keeping labour standards here, keeping environmental
2: standards. Yeah. Uh, I I mean we, we... want
3: to sign up to the to the EU's um, definition of what those are.
2: I, ha- I have to say, when when, I, when I'm looking at first glance at the bills, the environment bill in particular, and it it it's, it doesn't say to me that we are looking to maintain the same standards. Actually, it does say that we're going to diverge because uh, we move from sort of mandatory regulations to voluntary regulations, for example. So, well,
3: I think the environment is a very interesting one. That's right. We've had to set up this new um, environmental regulator because it won't be up to the you know, um, European Court of Justice yeah. to do the enforcement anymore, uh, and whether our, our own agency has actually got as much teeth as uh, the European Court of Justice ultimately, you know, remains to be seen. I mean, I think the, the point that uh, um, the government would make is it's sim- simply because we retain the right to diverge doesn't necessarily mean that we will diverge I now. <laughs> how, much, how much credence you can put in that uh, is, is another matter, but that's their mind. Anyway. Do you think... Uh,
2: I'm just trying to sort of glean from you what what sort of direction, if we have had a change of direction... From Boris Johnson here, because I think the uh, the sacking of Julian Smith as, as Northern Ireland Secretary is an interesting one. Because uh, as we just heard from John Rental at the Independent, uh, he was he, he was doing a good job in as much as he was doing the uh, the, the political impossible of keeping uh, both uh, Republicans and uh, and uh, loyalists uh, together on the same page. So he managed to have both sides mm. of Northern Ireland with him, but not uh, the UK mm. Prime Minister.
3: Well, true. But I mean, I, I think from now on, although the Northern Ireland minister obviously plays a part in this, having got the executive back up and running, it's really up to the parties in Northern Ireland now, I think, to, you know, to make this thing work. Uh, I think, although clearly Gillian Smith played a very big part in that, I think what also played a very good big part in that was the fact that, uh, you know, both and Fein and the DUP got rather worried about their results in uh, the December general election, and therefore actually, you know, there was a bit of will on their part to to get things moving again. Plus the the feeling that you know the public services in Northern Ireland have fallen into a kind of crisis That's that true. they needed to do something about. So, I mean, I, I think individual ministers, and this goes to your wider question about you know the impact of reshuffle. Individual ministers are quite important, but actually, I'm not sure that they completely determine the, the direction of the government. And I, I mean, that then says, who does? Well, I, is it I,
2: I was thinking, if you took, if you take the view that Julian Smith was doing a good job because he made could keep both sides mm. of the sectarian divide mm. happy, has he been shown the door because of his views on historic prosecutions, where I think it's fair, I think we can deduce he's, he's on the opposite side of the page from, from Boris Johnson on that, and and I'm then thinking, well, if Boris Johnson and or Dominic Cummings is of the mindset that Julian Smith's got to go because he's not towing the party line or the, the number 10 line on on historic prosecutions, mm. we take that very seriously. Could we then extrapolate from that? It's the same with Sajid Javid. He's perhaps dragging his feet on, on perhaps some issues on Freeports or something like that. So he's shown the door. It's it's just why... Yes, it's just I mean, the, the line we were fed is that they wanted to be shot of his advisors And I can't work out... Is, is that a euphemism for they just wanted to get rid of him? I'm not so sure. I mean, I think,
3: really, this is about um, Dominic Cummings and maybe some other people around... Um, uh, Boris Johnson simply wanting a more coordinated approach, and I think they have felt over the last you know week, few weeks or so, there have been briefings coming out of the Treasury which they haven't liked. And although they don't necessarily look back on the days of George Osborne and yeah. uh, David Cameron with <laughs> great joy, those two did actually manage to run a fairly kind of joint operation when it when it came to those kinds of things. And I think there is a feeling that you know going forward we're going to a very difficult period really yeah. where we have to negotiate this future relationship the European Union that you really don't want the two men at the absolute top um, to be briefing against each other or or, or to, you know, to be honest, for there to be a a fag paper between them.
2: The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. There's been allegations of cronyism and incompetence in her department, all of which uh, paints a fairly grim picture of what Lady Scotland has been doing with her £4.7 million of taxpayers' money. However, I have to say, I I was first drawn to this by by black people I follow on Twitter who were concerned that Baroness Scotland herself was being given the rough end of this stick, perhaps because of her colour. And then I saw the Baroness herself has come out fighting. She didn't name Johnson per se, but she certainly came out with the phrase "fake news." She's been implied that she's been the victim of fake news, a smear campaign. So what is the truth? I'm going to turn to Latika Burke, a journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald, for guidance on this. Good afternoon to you, Latika.
1: Good afternoon. I can't
2: quite work out who's telling the truth and who isn't here, can you?
1: Well, there have been problems within the Commonwealth Secretariat for a long yes. time now. And one of the issues that did come out that was exposed with this audit that you referred to was that um, they want to make whistleblower uh, avenues stronger. So basically make it easier for people within the Secretariat to come forward if they see any misconduct or wrongdoing. Now, that should be ringing alarm bells. That basically is a wink-wink and a nudge-nudge that there have been things going on within the Secretariat that people were afraid to speak out about. Or if they did, they were pushed out and made unemployed. So, is, is it is it been-
2: Sorry, Latika, is it not also possible, knowing what Machiavellian so-and-sos we have working behind the scenes in in our political system over here, that you could come out with a line that we need more whistleblowers in order to give the impression that something's going wrong at the Secretariat.
1: No, I don't think that that is the case in this instance, because I have several sources who know are familiar familiar with the inner workings of this. And by my sources' accounts... Uh, this is not a very well-run department in any respect. Now, to, just to give you one example of the kind of mindset that exists behind Bar- Baroness Scotland's leadership. Last year, I wrote a report for our newspaper where she had invited the leaders of the Commonwealth to Australia for a very, very noble uh, pursuit, a friendly cricket match. Um, But it was in Adelaide, and she was inviting heads of state to Adelaide, which is a very small city in Australia, without telling the Australian government. Now, that would have constituted tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in security, making sure hotels were available. And it was a huge surprise to the Australian government that these invitations had been made. I mean, this is not a very
2: well-functioning Commonwealth <laughs> Secretariat in I'll... anybody's book. Well, um, that, that's, a, that's a very good example, I have to say. But then let me ask you about um, the redress then. Boris Johnson turning off the £4.7 million tap of public cash. Is that the right way to go around business? If you're unhappy with your Secretariat general shouldn't you just sort of fire her and actually keep the money rolling into the Commonwealth Office because it's important?
1: Well, the decision is made by the heads of state of the Commonwealth. Now, Chogham—that's the Commonwealth heads of government yeah. meeting—is due to meet in Rwanda later this that's year, right. where where either Baroness Scotland can decide whether she wants to fight for a second term. I think she'd be very unlikely to get that, mind you. Um, or her replacement will be will be fixed then. But her term expires a bit before that.
2: March the 31st, I think, I think it is, yeah.
1: Yes, I think that is why you will find all these stories coming out now, because the real issue is about whether her uh, term is extended until Rwanda, whether there should be an interim uh, leader appointed until then. I think it's pretty clear from the actions of the UK government. And mind you, the Australian government has cut funding as well. That's not an insignificant decision. I think you will find there's not a lot of support for her. But it's ultimately not the big guys in the Commonwealth's decision. It's not the UK's decision. It's not Australia's decision. It's not New Zealand's decision. This is the decision of many, many countries. And you might find that Baroness Scotland has done well to garner support in some of those smaller countries. Yes.
2: So is she... uh is she... Because there's one other thought in, in my mind that could be behind her suggestion that she's the victim of fake news and that would be tying up with Brexit that uh, as we as, as we look towards sort of trade deals uh, and moving forward that the Commonwealth, we were certainly told in the run-up to Christmas, the Commonwealth was going to play a, a much more important role uh, with regard to trade and so forth. Is it possible that, that Baroness Scotland, Lady Scotland was getting in the way of that ambition?
1: Well, I... I mean, look, things are always nuanced, aren't they? She's a political player. We've got a Tory government in power yeah. here. She, but But she's not well-liked on her own side. I mean, it is not the case that you can say she is well supported across the board and it's Uh, only the Tory government that dislikes it I mean a lot of these complaints are coming from within the Commonwealth Secretariat and I think for the sake of the Commonwealth which relies on taxpayer funding from many many countries around the world it is very important to make sure that all of this is done above board and that there can be no hint of scandal.
2: The Matthew Wright Show
0: on Talk Radio.
2: Uh, let's uh, talk to an expert on the subject, Dr Tony Sewell. Oh, Hello, hi, Tony. Hi, how you doing? Nice to yeah, talk to you we, again. we spoke to you before. Sure. Is, is Ben Bradley, the Tory MP, making a valid point that we're ignoring the plight of white working-class boys?
0: I think it's very difficult for politicians, in a sense, to make the case because of um, the fact that, that... And I think you, you made the point earlier, this notion that, that there's always a sense white privilege... Yeah continues to exist anyway with, with, with richer boys, and particularly private, especially if you come from a private school. And if you look at that parliament, Labour <laughs> and Tory, there's enough, you know, in there to make them feel comfortable, at, uncomfortable at night, you know. So I do think there is... There, there are, I think that is one of the reasons why this hasn't come up. And I think the other thing is to do with race. I mean, it really is to do with the idea that... Um, we we what we're doing here is and i I actually think it's probably unfortunate to sort of name this thing necessarily as why i would have probably gone after this in terms of and and i think we could make a better case for talking about the the geographical areas the areas in which these young men come from rather than their ethnicity because i think that's probably going to be well, more important well i, I,
2: I I'm, I'm broadly with you there, Tony, but if you look at um, uh, children with sort of Asian heritage, I mean they they're storming it, uh, including boys and girls so so color isn 't necessarily a discerning factor, but certainly heritage would seem to would seem to have a role to play
0: i don 't know I think I think you've got to be careful here because it's, if, if you look at what is the driver here, London. Has been the key place where the education system of the of country, including Scotland actually as well, the education, the education of Britain, really has been driven, has been transformed. And if you if you if you were to put those results through a sieve and look at it, and you saw that you you were then to look at um, Bradford, uh, Manchester, well a bit bits of Liverpool, you go to the coastal towns. You do see a significant drop for all groups, and particularly for white boys. So, I do think where you live is yeah. as important as what colour you are. And um, I think we've got to look at that because if you think about it, um, I, I, let, me, let me give you one example. And I, I hate to keep using this, and I don't want to, I don't want to disparage anybody from that area, but Nosley in Liverpool has the notorious sort of reputation. I've never sent any kid to a university, yeah, yep, yeah. and it's predominantly white and it's in the suburb of Liverpool, and, and, and so, what, what, and, then, and then you go down to your coastal towns of Bognor Regis, Portsmouth, and you go around to the east, Clacton, and you come down to the west Midlands, the east Midlands, and you've got um, Nottingham and Derbyshire. And I go to these schools. I I, I travel around, and and and, and I go in, and they're, and they're predominantly white, but they're they're in a geographic area and a specific area, and I and I wonder whether it's to do with, and you know the teachers in in, in in those areas they say well no and this is the specific thing about it they say well nobody goes from comes go to university from around here, and it's this notion of round here, that is that is almost. The key thing that that that, that, that almost has a kind of sense that nobody cares, nobody cares for us around here, you know, and I, I, I do think we should be looking at that. I, I'm not dis, I'm not down. I hear you. I hear Yeah, yeah. But I do think that. Uh, and and what's happened is London. I hate to well, let's be very specific then about race in London. What's happened in London? It's become an Asian and black uh, town because white people have left there. I mean, and, and the only people who are really around are white sort of liberal people who want to stay around Lambeth and nah,
2: there No, nah, there's I'm, two types, two types <laughs> of white person in London. And I've been here for 54 years, Tony, and that I is know, the, 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 ma- wealth- <laughs> the wealthy people who can afford to live in London and then my poor white friends who live in council accommodation. And that's the, 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 all the people I, agree, I knew that I agree, grew up in, in at- private accommodation who are white have all left London because they can't afford to live there anymore.
0: I agree, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about. I'm not saying that. They, that, that, that I mean, there's no disparaging these people. These people are forced out. Look at look at uh, the Canary Wharf development. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isle of Dogs. All these places where white people, white working class people, used to really kind of be in numbers, big numbers, they're not there anymore. They've gone east. It, and it, um, I, I think I think because as you're right, because
2: of the, the prices. Is it? Is there, so, a, so, so, just bring back to schools, Tony. Just just something. Is there anything that you? would suggest could be done to by teachers or by uh, by by government in terms of how exams are structured or schoolwork is structured to sort of bring boys back in the fold white boys if white working class boys if need be because I I, I I share many of your concerns about geography and such like but there's nothing there that i don't think schools can't aren't going to be able to change that themselves And i'm just wondering if we can bring it back to what what schools might be able to do
0: yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I do think there is relevance because I was very much involved in, in, in that London change and I don't know why we haven't replicated that in other areas. And what we did in London was simply have a lot of ambition for those young people that they can do, they can do well. And if you enjoyed all
2: of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio.